You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Fourteen, Matthew chapter number 14. <clears throat> and Brother Josh talking about how a bunch of people's legs are, are uh, kind of messed up and playing basketball last Sunday night. Just took a wrong step, felt a pop in the old calf muscle, and, uh, or what should be a muscle back there, whatever that is. And uh, so I've been limping around for a week or so, but uh, praying the Lord gives me speedy healing. I feel like when I was a teenager, I would have been better the next day. I've been out playing ball the next day. That's what I feel like now that I turn, and even maybe like when I was 37. But since I turned 38 a month ago, less than a month ago, I feel like just things are falling apart. I don't know. Is that the, is that the magic age? Is it 38? That's what everyone's saying. Yeah, it's 38. Okay, well, I just wanted to make sure, and those of you younger than 38 can just be aware of that, that your body will fall apart when you get there. But I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm happy to be walking around and standing and talking and all that kind of good stuff. I'm glad I'm not at home watching the service. I'm glad to be here, and I was here Wednesday as well. But uh, I'm looking forward to preaching out of Matthew chapter 14 this morning, and I'm kind of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm in between a series I just finished we just finished Philippians a couple weeks ago, and then uh, I preach a couple messages just from whatever God leads me and, and whatever scripture I've read or studied recently or, uh, and things like that, and I've enjoyed it, but uh, I feel like you know there's another series, a shorter series coming up pretty soon here, and I'll tell you more about that, but I do want to make this announcement regarding the hot dogs tonight. Now, I know I've, I've joked around a lot about the hot dogs, but I was told to make this announcement, Okay. By Brother Delgado, chairman of our deacons, okay? Here's the announcement. Tonight's uh, hot dogs will be Chicago dogs. I don't know where that came from. I was shocked. Like, that's just a great idea. But not only there will have Chicago-style dogs, and if you just want a plain hot dog because that's your personality plain, you can do that. Uh, you can have that. Uh, but there is also L.A. dogs, which... I don't know what an L.A. dog is. Is there trash on it? Is there, like, is there, you know, bad government put on it? I mean, I'm just, I don't know what an L.A. What's on an L.A. dog? Anybody know? Costco? Well, I don't even know what to say about that. What's on an L.A. dog, Brother, Brother John? Bacon? There's, a, there's bacon on it. All right. F's. So, is it a Dodger dog? So you're going to charge us $57 for one hot dog? Is that how it works? Or? <laughs> Folks, I'm not new here. I know what's going on. That's a racket up at L.A. Stadium, okay? We know it is. You can make the same one for 20 cents at your house. Some reason we go to L.A., we go to Dodger Stadium, it's, that'll be $100 for that hot dog. Anyway, in Chicago, they don't do that. All right, so in our, in our Bibles, oh, by the way, there's fries and boba as well. So they've got a whole spread tonight for $5. Is it still $5? It's 25 now. <laughs> I think it's still $5, everyone, okay? But, but I love Chicago dogs, so come and enjoy one just because I've told you how amazing they are. If you want to have an L.A. dog, you can, you can do that too. I'm just kidding. All right, in our Bibles here. Oh, by the way, I did want to make mention that we have Brother Michael DeHaro, Miss Jen DeHaro are with us, and... Uh, all right, all right. Our teenagers are excited. They're like, finally. And uh, probably saw 
Brother Michael on the platform, you're like, who's that guy? Well, he's our new staff member, and so is Miss Jen. And uh, Miss Jen will be teaching third and fourth grade in our school this year. And uh, then Brother Michael is assistant pastor here with us now. And uh, so we've got some new blood, all right? So welcome them to Long Beach. Key their car? No. Uh, we talked about that last week. But, uh, but uh, tonight we're going to have just a small little celebration to welcome them on staff. If you'd like to bring a gift, uh, we welcome you to do that. If you can't do that, you don't want to, that's fine. You don't like them, that's fine. You don't have to bring a gift. But if you want to do that, you can bring a card or something tonight. And uh, just to welcome them. They've been married, I think, eight months. Eight? Six? Six months, all right? And uh, so that's, that's pretty recent, all right? And so, um, but we want to just get them here and make them feel welcome. Their first day is tomorrow morning at, at, at school here for orientation and all that, for the teacher orientation anyway. And so we're excited to have them. And so make sure you get by them and, and meet them, okay? Matthew chapter 14, your Bibles, we're going to look at a story that you know, <clears throat> a story that is familiar to you, a story that is one of the coolest stories in the entire Bible, in my opinion. I don't know many more stories that are, in, that are as interesting and as just thought-provoking and mind-bending as this story is. And I will tell you right before we get into it, I believe the Bible's true. I don't believe this is an allegory. I don't, think, I don't believe this is something where, oh, it really just stands for something else. Now, I believe what happened in this story really, really happened. In real life, a miracle of, uh, of just... There's no, other, and there's no other miracle like this in the Bible. And let's look down and read this miraculous story from Matthew chapter 14, verse number 22. This is the story of a man walking on water. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. <clears> Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And they go before him into the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the even, evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. For straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. That's a strange request. Is that, if you had never heard a story like this, would that have been your first request? If you'd never heard that anyone had ever walked on water, would you say, Lord, let me walk on this water? Probably it wouldn't come into your mind, but it came into Peter's. But, uh, and then it says in verse number 29, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in the ship, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And then it goes on to tell where they went beyond that. What a miraculous story. What a miraculous story. The Sea of Galilee is a big sea. It's a lot of what happens in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly, happens around in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee. 
13 miles wide, or 13 miles long, I should say, and 7.5 miles wide. If you ever see it, it looks like almost like a harp, uh, the shape of a harp there, the Sea of Galilee. It was fresh water. It was a, a, a place that, that uh, gave water to most of the people in that area. It was 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And at, at, in the Sea of Galilee, in the Bible, you'll notice many storms happen. And that was true of that sea, that many storms took place on the Sea of Galilee due to elevation and mountains surrounding it and all that kind of stuff. But this wasn't a storm. This wasn't thunder and, and, and lightning as we always picture it. We always picture, you know, that there's, there, that there's lightning and thunder and all this kind of stuff. It was just wind. It was wind and big waves, which is, you know, the wind is going to cause those waves, of course. But that's what's happening here. But I want you to look down at verse 22. What's interesting to me is that Jesus told them to get in the boat. Verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained or even commanded, you could say, his disciples to get into a ship. What are you telling me? He said, get in the boat. Get in the boat and go across. So Jesus, do you think the omnipotent Christ did not know what was about to happen? No, he knew. He knew the wind would be contrary. He knew the waves would be big. I looked it up. I Googled it to find out. How big can waves get in a lake, like Lake Michigan, something like that? And they've gone up to 23 feet. That's pretty big. Pretty big. You know, the biggest in the ocean, someone said it was 112 feet, what was measured. That's a big wave, right? But uh, so, so pretty big waves, even for experienced fishermen. And if you read the uh, parallel stories in Mark and John, it says that they were rowing and rowing and rowing and couldn't go anywhere. They were just stuck, just being tossed about in this sea. But it was Jesus that said, get in the boat. That's interesting to me. And then verse 24, it shows us here. By, by the way, look at verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a, a part, uh, 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 into a mountain apart to pray. I love it that Jesus always took time and found time to be with God. He did. He had just fed the 5,000. He just expended this energy, and now he says, I need to rest up with my Father. What a great example for us to get to God uh, through every day, but through the storms of life as well, through the difficulties of life, when we're exhausted, when we're tired. He found time to be with God. Verse 24, it says there that there, it was the toss with waves, for the wind was contrary. Again, not a storm, but just the, the wind and waves going. Now look at verse 25. It says, in the fourth watch of the night. What's the fourth watch? Jewish days were divided into two halves by 12, so from 6 to 6 and then 6 to 6. That's how the Jewish day started. In fact, the Jewish day started at 6 p.m. in the evening. And the watches were divided in the Roman time by, uh, by four sets of three hours each. So the first watch would be from 6 to 9 p.m. The second watch would be from 9 to 12. The third watch would be from 12 to 3. And the fourth watch would be from... Where am I at? 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So here are these men struggling and toiling at nighttime, big waves, as they're going through this, uh, through this, uh, uh, this huge lake, or, or uh, the Sea of Galilee there, and they're having difficulty. And then here comes Jesus, seeing them toiling, and he comes walking on the water. This is such an amazing thing. There's so many messages and things to get out of here. But here's what I want to preach to you today. And you may say, well, Pastor, you just said the opposite of this. Jesus told them, get in the boat. But my message today is get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. I want to pray, and we'll talk about this this morning. Father, we thank you so much for today, for church, for your people that are here, for those watching online. And again, Lord, we pray for those that have been sick, that you give them healing, help them to get back in church soon. But I pray that you bless this message this morning, 
And uh, God, that you would find a way into our hearts today to speak with us and commune with us about some things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I read a 2006 article by a Florida State University professor named Doran Knopf was his name. That was his real name. And according to his research, he, see, he's a professor of oceanography at uh, Florida State University. And according to his research in 2006, Jesus did not walk on the water. In fact, he must have walked on frozen ice. That was what he found out 2,000 years after Jesus walked on water, is that in the midst of this sea that was throwing waves everywhere, that somehow this little plank of ice extended right out to where the disciples were. And he just walked out, and they thought that he was walking on the water. But really, he was walking on a sheet of ice, apparently. That just shows me. You know, it's just an amazing thing to me. What lengths people will go to to explain away an act of God? What lengths people will go to to explain away God moving and God working and what God wants to do? Can I tell you that Peter, when he got out of that boat, they were, they were toiling along and rowing, but Peter was the only one that said, Lord, if it's really you, let me walk to you. I don't think Peter was saying, I'm so terrified of dying in this boat. Maybe he was, but none of the other disciples followed that lead. None of the disciples even thought about it. And so maybe the other disciples were looking at Peter saying, what are you doing? Why would you want to get out of the boat? You're going to sink. Why would you need to do that? Why even take a chance? Why? why? And, and maybe they thought that. Maybe they thought there was no need to do that because it was really just some waves. You know, when we want to do something for God, others may not understand. When you want to do something for God, when you pray for a miracle from God, when you want to see God come through in your life in a miraculous way, and you begin praying to that end, and you begin stepping out in faith and living that way, people may not understand. People may not get it. Even family, even friends, even people at church may not understand why you feel the need to get out of the boat. But I want to encourage you this morning to get out of the boat to get out of the boat, to get away from what is comfortable, from what is safe, so that you can see the works of God. In Psalm 107, it talks about that in the deep is where God does the works. When, you can't, when your feet can't feel the shore, when your feet can't feel the bottom, and you have to get out away from the shore, that's where God wants to do the work. We want God to do the work as we stand on dry ground. We want God to do the work as we stand in a safe place. We want God to do the work as we can feel where we're at and be secure in our own self. But I cannot tell you something, that's not how God works. God wants us to get out of the boat. God wants us to step out and sometimes be uncomfortable. Remember several years ago, I went, uh, my wife and I drove up to Clear Lake, which is near Sacramento, and uh, with my in-laws, and we went tubing. You know, the boat, and they pulled a tube behind it. I'm not a strong swimmer, I can swim. Uh, uh, you, you know, I can do that. I, I don't know if I could just, you know, be a Marine where you have to tread water for a certain amount of time. I'd probably drown pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, but uh, I, I can swim. And I had a life vest on. But can I tell you, I got on that, on that inner tube. And that boat was whipping around and throwing me. And eventually, like, you know, it turned and I just went over and I fell into the lake. And, you know, for a while, the people driving the boat, they don't even know if you're gone. Like, they're just, they're, just, they're just taking off, you know. I'm sure he's back there. You know, whipping in these donuts almost like... And so I, I hit the water, and I go under, and I come up. The boat's gone. 
And I'm just like in the middle of this, of this lake, like, oh, no, I don't like this at all, you know, just sitting out there. And I, it was very uncomfortable, very intimidating as you look around. And it's, it's a good hour swim, you know, to any land that you see. And you're like, hey, I'm not a great swimmer. And you're looking around, the boat's nowhere. I tell you, that was a bit uncomfortable. But you know what? I really enjoyed the inner two. I really it had such a great time. I got back on it again and did it again. Here, you know, a simple illustration of what I'm saying is that, look, sometimes you got to take a chance. Sometimes you, you don't get to experience things. You, you will experience things you never could on the inner tube. Uh, sorry, let me say that again. I'm trying to work out the English there. You know what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm getting to. Stay with me. You'll, you experience things on the inner tube that you never would on the boat. That was worth it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was worth it. Write it down. That's great. You know what I mean, though. If you don't take the chance of getting out of the boat onto the inner tube, all you do is watch. All you do is, is see someone else do it and experience something. And you know what? I don't want to be a Christian that watches other people get their prayers answered. I don't want to be a Christian that's, that's standing on the sideline or sitting on the boat as other people do miraculous things for God. I don't want to be that person. I want to be out there. Now, it's uncomfortable. It may not be fun, but I want to be somebody that knows what it's like to launch out into the deep and see God come through for me. That's what I want in my life. So much of the Christian life is knowing when to get out of the boat and to get away from safety and just follow Christ. So much of it. What does it mean to get out of the boat? Let me just very quickly, by way of introduction, tell you a couple things. When you get out of the boat, how do you, how do, you do that? What does that mean? What does it take? First of all, it means stepping out by faith. You're going to get out of the boat. You're going to do something for God that, 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 uh, that maybe makes you uncomfortable. You're going to do something for God that makes a difference. You're going to get prayers answered. You're going to uh, go on and start an endeavor that maybe God is leading you to do. It could be a business decision. It could be a family decision. It could be a decision in your personal life. But you're going to stop and you're going to, you're going to start launching out for something. It's going to mean that you have to step out by faith. You're going to have to step out by faith. It means that you have to be okay with not seeing where you're going to land sometimes. Stepping out by faith. We have our new staff members. They're stepping out by faith to move to Long Beach. 16 years ago, my wife and I stepped out by faith to move here. We'd been here one time in our lives. Stepping out by faith. And, and, and look, the Dejaros could have stayed in the boat. They had a great church they were a part of. My wife and I, we could have stayed in the boat. But when Jesus calls you out of the boat, you got to follow. you got to do what he says. you got to go to Christ. One of the professors that, were at, that was at my college was getting so frustrated because he would see these people graduate from college, and he would offer them jobs. Great church. You would know the preacher. Uh, he's been here. He's a great man. And it, it, it would have been a dream for people to work for him, I would think. And... He would offer these people position, and they would say, no, it's okay, I think I'm just going to stay in my home church. Is there a job for you? No. And he'd say, well, you graduated Bible college to be a teacher. You graduated to be an assistant pastor. Why aren't you stepping? Oh, no, I, I think I'm just going to stay in my home. And they were so afraid to just step out by faith. And it was so frustrating for him, and I, I understand that. You know, did you, did you come here to get a degree and do nothing, or did you train so that you could serve God? You know, I've seen people in college and I've seen people in life that purposely sabotage themselves. They're, they're, they're doing a good thing, but they sabotage themselves because they're afraid of stepping out. I know so many people that the, the month before graduation, they got expelled. They got themselves kicked out of college. I think it was because they were afraid 
afraid of stepping out, afraid of the unknown. And you know what? Sometimes if you're going to do something for God, it means stepping out by faith. You know what kept Peter above the water? Think about it. Think about what was it that kept Peter on top of the water? It was his faith. You could say Jesus, yes, it was Jesus providing the miracle, but when Peter lost faith, what happened? When Peter had faith, he was on top of the waves. What does that teach us? Faith keeps you on top of the waves instead of under them. And when you step out for God and you start something and you decide to get out of the boat, faith is what keeps you on top of the waves instead of under them. And look, the Christian life is meant to be lived by faith. Stepping out by faith. What does it mean to get out of the boat? It means getting out of your comfort zone. It means getting out of your comfort zone. Now, some people, we like our comfort zones. It's called comfort for a reason. We even have food that we call comfort food because it just makes us feel good inside when we eat it, right? And uh, like, like a good Chicago dog, you know what I mean? And uh, comfort food, right? Well, here's the thing. There's not much comfortable about going soul winning. There's not much comfortable about going up to a stranger's house, hey, slam, you know. There's not much comfortable about saying, hey, I'm from Gethsemane Baptist Church. We just came by to give you an invitation for our church. We happen to think it's the best church in the world. And, 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 things that, and, and then talking to people and then going to Home Depot and seeing somebody in the aisle and saying, hey, man, can I give you an invitation to our church? There's not a lot of things that are comfortable about that. Sometimes, though, Getting out of the boat means doing something that you are not comfortable with. Can I talk to you perfectionists for a minute, please? I don't know how many of you are perfectionists in here. You, you may not describe yourself that way, but many people are perfectionists. Can I just talk to you for a second? Your perfectionism will keep you in the boat. Because you're going to wait for the perfect calm sea, and you're going to wait for the perfect opportunity to launch out for God. But here's the thing we don't realize. Your chance to step out by faith ends when the conditions are perfect. Your chance to step out by faith is gone when perfect conditions show up. Why? Because God doesn't want to give you perfect conditions. He wants to see you step out and learn to trust him. How many of us parents have had our kids stand on a diving board or stand on a counter somewhere, especially as dads, right, and say, jump, I'll catch you. And, and we could call it a trust exercise or whatever it is, but it does build trust. Because if you were to like, ha, 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 let the kid fall, guess what? They're never doing it again. And so many times Christ is calling us to do something for him. Just trust me. And we're like, no, the boat's comfortable. The boat's, I can see the boat. I know that, that wood can hold my feet. I don't know about that water, though. It means getting out of our comfort zone. Someone said great things never came from comfort zones. What does it mean to get out of the boat? It means laying aside your fears and insecurities. Laying aside your fears and insecurities. I can't, blah, blah, blah. I'm not able to. I, I, I can't, I, I don't have the gifting to, uh, but, but what if this happens? And I don't think I could ever. And, and the fears and the insecurities. Here's what's interesting to me. <clears throat> the answer to our fears and insecurities lies in getting to Jesus. But our fears and insecurities keep us in the boat. And so something has to bend. If we want to get rid of the fear and the insecurity, we're going to have to actually step out and conquer that fear and go to Christ and, be, and prove that Christ is able to sustain and, 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 and keep us afloat. 
You cannot let your fear paralyze you from doing what you know Christ is calling you to do. 16 years. 16 years I've worked with teenagers at this church. I've seen so many teenagers that they graduate and they're paralyzed. I'm not judging them. I'm not saying I'm against them. I'm for them. But so many, they, they, they're paralyzed because they, they, they are afraid to take a step. Even though God may have told them what to do. It means laying aside your fears and insecurities. I want to show you a couple things here from this passage, and we'll be, we'll be on our way. But when it comes to getting out of the boat, I want you to see a couple things that happened with Peter. First of all, I want you to notice this. Peter asked something impossible. He asked something impossible. And I've got points here, but they won't be lengthy. He, I just find it amazing that he had the guts to ask that. I mean, like, imagine, like, if it was modern day, and you're in a helicopter, and, you know, the helicopter's facing some turbulence, and you see Christ floating in the air, and you're like, Jesus, let me fly to you. You know, like, who would do that? Like, who would even think to do that? Peter did. Peter thought enough about Christ that he asked something impossible. Can you think about that statement for a second? Peter thought so highly of Christ that he was willing to ask for something impossible. When is the last time that you asked God for something impossible? And I don't mean, you know, Lord, I really need a a Maserati car. I really need a Lamborghini. Okay, that is impossible. It's not going to happen. But when's the last time you asked God for something that was impossible? Don't we serve a God who said that with him all things are possible? Don't we serve a God who time and again in the Bible just did miracle after miracle. And we look at the disciples and we say, hey, how could you not believe Jesus after he just fed 5,000 people? And yet we have all the stories of the Bible. We don't believe him. We, we, we don't ask for the impossible. Look, maybe we ought to get out of the boat of safe prayers. Maybe we ought to get out of that boat of safe prayers and pray for something, pray for God to do something and be willing to let, us, let him use us to do it. He asked something impossible. Hey, why don't we see more people saved? Are we asking God? Why don't we have miracles happening in our personal lives where we can point and say, look at this answer to prayer. Are we asking? We have not because we ask not. When is the last time you asked God for something impossible? I love that Peter got out of the boat of safe prayers and said, I'm going to ask God for something that no one else asked him for. We had, there was a church right down the street here, and uh, just right past South and uh, uh, Orange right there, and uh, it was for sale for a long time. And I've always wanted to have a gymnasium here. Like, I would love that. I know our students would love that. I know all of us would love that, mostly, you know. It's just another place where I could injure my other calf, you know. And uh, I would love to have that. And that church came available. And I knew they wanted, to, I, I called a, a realtor that got us our house. He's a Christian man. And he said, they're asking $2 million for that. I was like, Whew. And I, I emailed him back and I said, can you ask them if they'll give it to us? And he's like, what? And I said, look, you have not because you asked not. And I, I think, you know, God would be happy if we had a gymnasium. I don't think it's necessary, but I want to just, I want to pray for impossible things. So who knows? And can I tell you, God didn't answer that prayer. I wish I could be like, and today, folks, I want to tell you that 
but no, there's another church there now, which is probably a good thing, right? Having another church as long as they're preaching the gospel uh, than us having a gymnasium. But anyway, but I thought to myself, like, why don't I ask for God, God for things like that? Because I've heard other things happen like that. Haven't you heard stories? Remember when Larry Brown came here? Like he's been here for two years for a spring Springfield. He told so many stories about miraculous things that happened. And we think those are nice. But God could do the same for us if he asked us. God, if we started praying that God would let us have a bigger impact on our community, don't you think God wants to answer that prayer? But when is the last time we begin asking God for impossible things? But not only did Peter ask for the impossible, Peter attempted the impossible. He attempted it. He got out of the boat. He asked something impossible. He attempted something impossible. I love it. He didn't just say, Lord, let me come. He got out. He actually made the attempt. He actually showed that he believed by getting out of the boat. Because he would have said, oh, yeah, Lord, I believe you can, you can make me walk on the water. And we'd be like, no, nah, I don't think you do. Because if you did believe, you would have gone. And so Peter did prove that he believed because he got out of the boat. Maybe we aren't seeing God come through in miraculous ways because we aren't asking. Or maybe it's because we're not attempting anything. We're not attempting impossible things for God. My father-in-law, several years ago, he's, a, he's an idea man. He, has, you know, he always has an idea about something. And, and he has been a soul winner and, and, and for, for all, you know, since he got saved years ago. He's just been the example in my life of soul winning and faithfulness. And even as a pastor, he was 14 hours a week soul winning, which I don't know how in the world he has time to do that. He's constantly seeing people saved. And he's just been that guy for so long. He literally wrote the textbook for, a, for college about soul winning. He's been here and he's taught soul winning at our church before as well. A couple years ago, God laid it on his heart to start a, to make a cartoon, a gospel cartoon that could go to places where he couldn't go, that could reach all across the world, and something professionally done, something that didn't look like, you know, you and I just wrote it with our hand, you know, and just drew stick figures, something professional, something with professional voice actors, things of that nature. And he began doing some research, and he found a guy down here in Southern California, in San Bernardino, who would do it for $25,000. $25,000. My father-in-law's a pastor. He didn't have $25,000. He may have 25 cents. I don't think it's $25,000. But you know what? It was a decision where he could either take all of this time raising the money and raising the money and raising the money, and then at the end of that, when he finally got the money, he could say, okay, let's begin the project. But he felt like God wanted this thing done. And so he launched out into this project, and it's called Jose Got the Answer Right. Is that, that what it's called? Something like that. And it's about this little boy who hears a, a, a lesson about the Bible, about salvation, and he gets the answer right. He answers the question at the end about salvation. It's, it's, it was professionally done and all of that. It's been translated into a dozen languages now. They take, they're taking it into parts of Africa and showing people this video and people are getting saved. It's been translated and it's been taken to the Philippines. It's been taken to other countries around the world where, you know, people can't always get to. But now there's this video there. And I know there's been others like that in the past. But you know what? I think to myself, what if he would have just stood there and said, you know what? Well, I don't know if I can get that much money. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know. No, you've got to attempt something. If God is calling you to do something, attempt it. I love that it was William Carey, who we call the father of modern missions, missionary to India, who said, expect great things from God, 
attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And I want to encourage you today to get out of the boat with what you ask God. Get out of the boat with what you attempt for God. Well, if I witness to that family member, if I witness to that coworker, if I invite them to church, if I do that, they may be upset. And they'll tell you if they're upset. But attempt something. Maybe God is encouraging you to give something. It could be your time, your treasure, your talent. And, and you're counting the cost and you're trying to figure out how you can stay in the boat. Sometimes you just need to attempt something great for God. Attempt he attempted something impossible. He asked something impossible. Number three, he achieved something impossible. He did. <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. If not for just a short time, but it did work. He walked on water. And it wasn't an ice float. He walked. He did something no one else has ever done. No one besides Christ has walked on water. No one besides God has walked on water except Peter. You know, we know of, right? Amazing to me. He walked on water. When I worked at Google, uh, I worked at the headquarters as a security officer in college in Mountain View, California. And I would go down into the garage and, you know, do some patrolling. And they would have all these, you know, because it's Google. They'd have all these fancy cars, you know, Lotus, Tesla. They'd have, uh, you know, I don't even know if Tesla was in back then, not Tesla, uh, uh, Bentleys and, and uh, Mercedes and just all these expensive cars. I remember I went down one time, and there was this enormous yellow car. And it did not look like a car I'd ever seen before. It had, like, thick side, like thick rails on the side almost. You know, it had four wheels. It was, looked like a big banana. And I was like, what is this car? And, and the back where like the trunk would be, they had two pipes sticking up. I was like, what is this? And so I finally found somebody that knew it. They said, oh, that's like a hydro car. I said, a what now? And they said, yeah, you can drive it up to a lake and like get into the lake and it turns into a boat. And now you've got this boat and then you can come back and the wheels come down and then you can drive it away. It's like a car and a boat. Apparently, it didn't take too well because it was always parked there and began to <laughs> attract dust, and I don't think it was very practical. But can I just say that, that what we're seeing in this story is not a miracle of modern ingenuity. This was a miracle. This was a God thing. This was an actual miracle that God did, allowing Peter to walk on water and achieve something miraculous. He thought to ask for the impossible. He believed in the God of the impossible, and he did something literally impossible. <clears throat> in my life, I don't want to be in the boat. I want to be asking God, God, do something impossible with Gethsemane Baptist Church. Do something impossible in my life. Lord, I want to attempt things for you. And I also want to see them come through. I want to see you come through in miraculous ways. I heard of a pastor who asked God something impossible. He asked God to help him be a witness. <clears throat> and he said, God, I want to witness to people I'd like to see somebody saved every single day for a year. Every day for a year. That pastor would go out soul winning every day or when he was at the store or when he was at Taco Bell or wherever else he went. And he'd witness to people. And he came back and told testimony of the amazing, miraculous things where late at night people would, where he had nobody saved that day, but late at night someone would come to him and say, are you a pastor? And people would get saved. And he told for one year, 365 days, he saw at least one person saved every day. He said, I want to do it again. He kept doing it. I think it was for like eight years. 
That pastor was seeing somebody saved every day. Why? He asked God for something impossible, so he attempted something impossible, believing in the one that he's asking, believing in Christ, not in him, in Christ, because that he achieved something impossible. I want to show you the last thing this morning. It's important. Not only did Peter ask something impossible, achieve something impossible, or attempt something impossible, achieve something impossible, he admitted something necessary. He admitted something necessary. Look in your Bibles here. Look, if you would, at verse number 29. Jesus, after Peter had said, hey, let me walk on the water, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he, when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Peter got in over his head. What happened? Jesus rescued him. God doesn't usually let his children drown when they venture out to see him. But you know what? I think, and I, this may be a little controversial, but, and this is just an opinion, I think it might be a good thing that he started sinking. Say, well, Pastor, why would it be a good thing that he started sinking? Because I think it teaches Peter and it teaches us a crucial lesson, a very simple lesson, but one that we have to learn, and that is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Peter is falling in the water. He's going down, and he reaches out, Lord, save me. Not, let me save myself by swimming. He admitted something that was necessary. And if you're going to endeavor anything for God, you have to admit that you can't do it. It's Christ. Can I tell you something? If you're here today without Jesus Christ, your Savior, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You don't know for sure if you're going to heaven. Maybe you think your good works will get you to heaven. Maybe you think that going to church will get you to heaven. Maybe you think that if you just read the Bible, you can go to heaven. Can I just say that you cannot save yourself? It's impossible. Jesus has to do it. You have to go to Christ and say, Lord, save me. I'm only trusting in you. I'm not trusting in anybody else. I'm not trusting in the boat. I'm not trusting in a church. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm not trusting in my swimming ability. I'm trusting in Christ alone. And that's a, that's a crucial lesson for us to learn. He admitted that he could not do it without Christ. And I want to encourage you. We need to know this lesson. And as we are going into the fall, where we're going to have friend day coming up, we're going to have days where we're going to have an opportunity for you to sign up for some new ministries. And some of those ministries may mean that you have to get out of your comfort zone. And I encourage you to remember to get out of the boat. Because if you'll do that, you can do things that no one else could ever do. Because God is helping you. Will you ask God for the impossible? Will you attempt the impossible for God? When Jesus calls you out of the boat and says, I want you to do this, would you be willing to say, yes, God, I'll get out of the boat and I'll walk on that water to you, realizing that I can't do it myself. What have you attempted for God that's pulled you out of your comfort zone? I want to encourage you this morning. There may be something in your life that is ministry-related. There may be something in your life that's related to witnessing to somebody else, something with your family, something with business. I don't know what it is. But if God is saying, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. Lord, I pray that today you'd help us. God, we need your help. 
It's so easy to stay in the boat where we see safety, where we see uh, that uh, our feet can touch the ground.